Welcome to the Internet of Assets, the podcast about the not-so-distant future of finance. My name is Ryan King, Senior Project Manager at Dusk Network, and every episode, I'll dive into a specific part of finance. We do this in a maximum of 20 minutes. And in this episode, I'll be discussing MICA regulations. And I'll be doing that together with Willem Jan Smits. Welcome, Willem Jan. Hi, Ryan. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, my name is Willem Jan Smits. I am a crypto lawyer from the Netherlands with a, a team of crypto lawyers. We work uh, uh, on everything crypto from a legal perspective. And from that angle, we obviously really uh, uh, closely follow all the uh, the things that are happening on, uh, on MICA starting September 2020 and most recent uh, update just last Thursday. Great. Yeah. So, well, let's get into that. So, so as you said, last Thursday, June, June 30th was the final draft of the uh, markets and crypto assets regulation. So that's what, mm-hmm. that's what MICA means. We'll call it MICA throughout the rest of the, the talk, I think, because it's a lot quicker. Uh, so it's an exciting step in the right direction, I think, for more regulated blockchain market. But it also opens up a lot of questions and uncertainties. So Philemon, as an expert in the field, you've been following this process for a while. I have a few questions for you. Let's start off with Let's start off with MICA itself, shall we? So for those people listening in who are not familiar, maybe they've only heard the name of it in the news or just a, a few small snippets, could you give us a quick summary of what it is exactly and, and what it hopes to achieve? Yeah, for sure. Um, currently, the crypto market is generally not regulated. Uh, traditional markets have a lot of regulation. Um, it's typically divided between the issuance and, uh, and listing of assets, uh, services, and market abuse regulation. And um, uh, yeah, MICA is just that for for but then for the crypto markets. So it's a it's a very wide package of uh, of regulation that aims to uh, um, provide a regulatory framework for for the basically the entire market with a focus on crypto assets, stable coins, and crypto asset service providers. Okay, very clear. Now that's a, a great point there, and it, it's a certainly for us just having a look through. Uh, the main points. It certainly seems like stable coins is something they're really quite focused on making sure there are very strict rules and regulations around that. Why do you think there's such a big focus on stable coins? Mm, yeah, that's that's a great question, uh, Ryan. It, the stable coins are basically the, the direct reason why MICA is, uh, is coming into force now. We're talking 2020 when the first draft came out. But obviously, a little bit uh, before there were already preparations for this uh, for this regulation, and that was exactly at the time when when Facebook now Meta um, was thinking about launching uh, a stablecoin for itself, uh, then called Libra, uh, later uh, uh, the the DM coin, um, and uh, yeah, that that is for uh, for the European legislator was a, was a great um, impact, uh, and they expected a great impact on. The, the financial markets in the EU, and that was the direct um, uh, yeah, reason why they started to regulate this market. So the, the, that's also why you see such a focus on uh, and strictest regulation in this uh, in this piece on stablecoins. Right, right, and then so again, looking at the the actual layout for stablecoins, they they've used the, a sort of categorization system to break them up. Uh, I think a lot of us in the industry, when we think of stable coins, it's all just one big group. But the EU seems very clear to at least divide into into two things: the electronic money token and the asset reference token. Uh, what? How would you explain the difference between those two? Um, 
Yeah, that I believe that that comes from the um, a bit from the traditional regulation as well. Currently, uh, electronic money is already regulated, um, and uh, stable coins that re refer their value to to one fiat currency uh, and with an underpinning of that currency uh, has a lot of fami familiarities with uh, um, with electronic money. So it makes sense to regulate that in the same in the same course. Um, so that that was in, uh, in the most important category for uh, for the legislator. Um, uh, but there are other categories of stable coins as well. Uh, and they wanted to have a framework uh, to make sure that that the entire package was uh, was covered by it. So the asset reference tokens, um, where the underlying value of, of the coin is not uh, one fiat currency, but a basket of assets, either being a, a multiple different fiat currencies or um, uh, crypto assets or financial instruments that that is uh, that is an asset reference token okay yeah very clear um, so one fiat currency is an electronic money token and sort of any other combination of assets including potentially two or more fiat currencies is an asset reference token that is correct Okay, cool. So that brings us actually to our first point then. So we're talking about this final draft that came out on June 30th. Um, so as we know, the, the, the Council of the EU and European Parliament sat down to hash out this final draft. Uh, it was interesting, I thought, I, um, I don't know about yourself, that they really wanted to get this just finished before the French handed over the presidency to the Czechs. Uh, I thought that was quite interesting, the timing, didn't you think? Yeah, absolutely. Um, they wanted to get it done before the summer and before the end of the presidency, because otherwise it would have been uh, a deal only after the summer, so in September, and that would have pushed forward um, uh, the MICA entering into force with a couple of months. And with everything going on in, uh, uh, in, in Europe and in the world, uh, they, they just didn't want to have that postponement. And um, yeah, on top of that, you know, uh, in parallel of Mika, there is this uh, AML package, and um, you can see it there as well because they they teared apart that package and and put one put a deal uh, on the table for for one aspect of it. Um, and the rest uh, is still uh, a month or years away. So you could see there as well that they really wanted to uh, uh, to to cram it down in the, before the summer. Yeah, 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 they're very true. So for those, uh, I suppose for those of our, uh, our listeners that are sort of outside of the EU, it's probably worth us just mentioning quickly that the, the Council of the EU kind of uh, holds executive functions to some extent in the EU and the presidency rotates between each of the member states of the EU. And so every six months it it moves from being one country's presidency to another country's presidency. So just like in anything else, we see a flurry of activity towards the end of the presidency. So a country can turn around and say, look at all the things that we've achieved uh, during our six months in charge. And that was definitely what the French seemed to want to do. Um, one of the interesting things is this led to some very interesting points from that final draft on June 30th, some of which maybe we expected, some of which we didn't. I'd like to talk a little bit more about them. The first one particularly was this market cap on asset reference tokens. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, yeah, and it's good here to mention, Ryan, that, that uh, there is a political deal uh, between the Commission, the Council and the Parliament about, uh, uh, about yeah. what Mika is going to be, but there is no final draft yet. So uh, it is a bit speculative uh, uh, what, we're, what we're talking about. We're, we expect the, uh, the, the, the final draft after the summer. Um, but the deal is there, so we can talk about that. And, the, and, and 
what you mentioned, the stablecoin cap is uh, is a bit unexpected indeed. And what's the background of that is that the council uh, wanted um, uh, protection of uh, uh, the, the, the the European capital markets. So they didn't want uh, capital to flow into uh, stable coins that reference their value towards uh, another uh, fiat currency than, than the euro. And they don't want to, uh, uh, neither the same with asset reference tokens. So that's the reason why there will be a cap of 200 million transaction value per day. Uh, uh, and a stablecoin issuer uh, cannot exceed that cap. It's an absolute cap. Yeah, I see. I see. So a few different. Well, okay. So the encouragement would be to never get to that point in the first place to to set up yeah. their system, to set up their their rules that they never even get close to that cap in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And 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 the regulator will want uh, issuers to have a plan uh, beforehand. You know, on the moment that they issue uh, the license, um, uh, they want to know. What are you going to do if if the daily transaction value is approaching the cap? And how are you going to mitigate this risk? Right, right. Very interesting. Okay, that's interesting. because That was interesting for me as well, the number, because I think uh, maybe at least three of the top stable coins globally, anyway, are already well above that 200 million euro threshold. Uh, Like well above. I mean, there are many others, of course, which are nowhere near, but uh, it shows that there's, there's... this isn't as big of a number as we think it is. No, it's not that big. We're, t- we're talking tens of billions if we're we're talking about Thatter. Uh, so, um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually quite curious to uh, to to read on, in the final draft how how it's formulated exactly. Um, but it is a thing to uh, um, to take into account, and it and it, it doesn't um, make the, the EU market for stablecoins any any more attra- attractive. Yeah. Very true. Very true. Okay, um, let's uh, let's take a break away from the uh, June thirtieth um, uh, announcements and uh, talk about uh, a new section. Uh, we call it the unpopular opinion segment. This is unpopular opinion. Unpopular opinion. What's an unpopular opinion that you have about the current MICA regulations? An unpopular opinion is that uh, uh, MICA will be good for uh, the crypto markets in the EU. Oh, okay. That is unpopular. You, would you mind to go a little bit more into that? I think, um, and, and we can, we can uh, put this, uh, and it's obviously a, a, a debate issue. Um, and we can, we can stretch this a little bit further and, and even say that, that you know, uh, we see the EU now coming with, uh, uh, with a lot of legislation uh, and, and trying to be the front runner here in the world uh, uh, and, and regulating certain markets. We see it in GDPR, we see it in the crypto space now. Um, and uh, it's, it is to be awaited what, what, what will come from this. But um, uh, if we look at it from the positive side, it, it can have a spin-off uh, effect to, uh, to other parts of the world, uh, either be it the, 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 large, the large markets uh, in, in Asia and uh, in the US, uh, or the, the, the little bit um, um, uh, less regulated markets in, in, in South, uh, South America or uh, uh, the other parts of Asia or Africa, taking over this, this regulation. And, um, you know, in, in, in a couple of years, uh, we may see that, that uh, the framework that, that they're putting out here uh, will be a blueprint for, for a, a bit uh, something that looks like a global crypto regulation um, and, and, and moving markets 
closer closer together, uh, and and uh, in that way giving opportunity to uh, to EU parties not only uh, in in the market that uh, that that we have in the EU but also uh, also abroad. Okay, very interesting. So similar to what we've seen with. Some countries we saw, I think California paying attention to GDPR and thinking this, you know, this is this is not a bad thing to look at. Uh, maybe possibly other markets looking at MICA and thinking, yeah, we could we could do something like that too. Exactly. Yeah, that that that's uh, that's that's one side of the of the medal. I think that that is an argument that that you can uh, that you can make. I'm a lawyer, so I I also like to defend the other side of the medal. <laughs> um, and and uh, uh, we've been discussing it a bit here, but it seems uh, that that this regulation, in combination with with a, uh, a package, has been rushed a bit. And uh, taking out this this uh, uh, one piece of that that legislation, it will it will, without going into all the nitty gritty details, um, the aim of 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 Mika is to to present uh, one framework for the entire EU and and having. Uh, company one license which you can use in the entire EU and with not running these uh, these the SOMICA and the ML package in parallel brings a, a large risk that uh, the synchronization of this this license model will not be uh, as smooth as uh, as the plan is uh, resulting in that a company needs um, uh, uh, an EU license under MICA and maybe a registration under AML license in all the countries that it wants to be uh, active in in, uh, in the EU, so that is a, is a major drawback, I think, of uh, of uh, this legislation. If the EU um, regulator doesn't address that timely to make it uh, smooth as in, as intended. Yeah, very good. So that's of course what we often forget when we talk about these pieces of legislation is that legislation doesn't operate in isolation. It doesn't operate in a bubble. It interacts with other pieces of isolation. Uh, and uh, Villamian actually wrote a, a very nice piece about uh, what happened when when the, the the final deal on MICA and the slight changes to the AML bill and what what will happen when those two interact, which is what he was just talking about right now. Uh, please encourage everyone to go and check out his uh, LinkedIn page uh, to see a, a very very very, very good breakdown of how those two interact. I think it's very interesting. Consequences, certainly for the first 12 to 18 months of the operation of these two bills. Uh, but let's go back to this this deal from Thursday. A few more questions, certainly looking to the future. So the first time that, that, that you and I talked, because we, we've met before this podcast, that's the secret we can reveal to the listeners. We actually <laughs> know each other already. Um, but the first time that we, we met, we discussed the fact that there was nothing in MICA really about NFTs. And we both sort of expected that there would be something in a future deal or a future draft, and there still doesn't seem to be. Do you think there could be a different piece of legislation on the way, or is this a, another amendment on the way? Where do you see that going? There is a deal now, so I don't expect uh, um, an amendment uh, in the coming months. What uh, is in, uh, uh, in the deal is that there will be um, an evaluation exactly on this point, um, in I believe 18 months after that, uh, um, uh, MICA is uh, entering into force, and they will they, they will look at uh, the NFT market, see how significant it is, and whether it should be included in the, in MICA. I personally would have expected it to be in already, given uh, uh, what happened in, uh, in in Q3 and Q4 last year, and as well as in combination with uh, uh, yeah, basically the, uh, the the very steep decline. Uh, that we've seen over the last couple of months. Uh, 
I would have expected that it, it, it was in Mike already, but apparently um, the time was uh, was so much of the essence that they didn't put it in. On the other way, um, um, they are working for this now already nearly two years. You have to you have to uh, stop the iteration somewhere and get something uh, uh, on the mm-hmm. table. Um, the same the same uh, is there for for decentralized finance. It's not included as well. But if they wanted to include that as well, we're we're a half year further again, and then we keep dragging this along. So uh, yeah, um, I think that that's the background of it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I think that's a very good point. Yeah. It's the same principle behind uh, startups or, or any anybody building products at all, in, in not just in fintech and any kind of tech. At some point, you just need to get something built and out the door, or else you just never. It's always easy to say, "Well, we got this one more thing we want to add in, this one more feature we want to add in." One of the uh, features that they they did seem to add in, the one which was a little bit of a surprise to me, was this uh, Casp blacklist. Um, this this um, list of uh, third, third third party casps and how that would be dealt with what did you think about that i'm not really sure what to make of it uh, still exactly um but um yeah what what we've seen over the last couple of years is that there are obviously a lot of large global players entering the eu market and and not um um uh, registering under the aml re- uh, uh, regulations Whereas uh, native EU parties uh, have to do a lot of things to comply with these rules and also pay themselves for uh, uh, for the supervision by uh, by the NCAs, so that that is uh, uh, something that really stings stings industry parties in the EU, and and I think that uh, that the, the, the legislator tries to address that um, and basically. Uh, envisions a, a blacklist of uh, of uh, non-cooperative parties, uh, which uh, most probably for some term cannot enter the uh, enter the market and are not eligible for a license. Yeah, very interesting. I think that's a that's a great point. I actually remember very similar with the uh, the, the the Japanese regulations about three four years ago, where they made a clear distinction between uh, Japanese people just sort of finding a project. Uh, versus a project putting a version of their website in Japanese because like no nobody else speaks Japanese so it was very obvious if the website had a Japanese version that that they were trying to reach out to Japanese people and if they didn't have a license in Japan that would be the big trouble so yeah in certain languages I can see that that would be an obvious trigger point I guess in that case yeah yeah there, there are there you can think of more uh, trigger points the top level domains this is typically something we see. Um, uh, uh, also, general terms and conditions pointing at certain jurisdictions or applicable uh, legal frameworks. Th- th- those kinds of things also support services in the uh, in the language of a specific country. Um, yeah, very clear. But this is this is not something this is not something that that is uh, yeah only there for crypto markets. It's 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 much wider. It's called reverse mechanism of reverse solicitation. We see it in traditional financial markets uh, as well. This mechanism. Okay. Okay. Great. Um, let's talk about sustainability. So it's been on the agenda for a while. It's been in the discussion for a while that eventually there'd be some legislation to to sort of maybe not outlaw proof of work, but certainly at least put down some ground rules for like what the electricity consumption, the energy consumption could be, the things like that. 
Now, as far as I understood it from the deal on Thursday, there is nothing in there for now, but they're working on it. Yeah, this, this is a, a topic of itself. The entire market was a bit surprised by, uh, by the attempt to get in a, a, a proof, proof of work ban, so to say. Uh, so that's obviously the Bitcoin uh, consensus mechanism. Um, uh, there is a strong lobby in the Netherlands, uh, uh, and, and I believe in, in, in other parts of Northern Europe as well, to uh, uh, to get it uh, to get it in. Uh, it didn't make it, but what is in there is that uh, uh, issuers of uh, crypto assets, as well as crypto as the service providers, have uh, uh, in the communications about crypto assets that they have to uh, put out there. Um, uh, yeah, basically write a paragraph about sustainability of a consensus mechanism of crypto assets that are on uh, certain blockchains. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's really an informational um, thing. There is also a mechanism in the EU for, for basically categorizing this. I'm not an expert in that field, so I, I cannot go to and do any depth of that, but basically they are um, attaching to, to the mechanism that is there just generally for the market. Um, um, and another interesting thing to see is, is also one thing and it, 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 it ties, ties down to this, um, is the, uh, the white paper, um, um, obligation of the, 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 yeah, the introduction of a white paper obligation for cash for non-issuer crypto assets. So for instance, Bitcoin, there's, there's no central party, no, it's really decentralized. There's no one issuing it. Um, so uh, if if a crypto asset service provider wants to list Bitcoin, they have to uh, um, write a white paper about it, register it with uh, the National Competent Authority, uh, and a paragraph in that white paper has to uh, uh, has to describe the consensus mechanism of uh, of Bitcoin. So that's proof of work, um, and uh, yeah, the the environmental issues uh, with that. Yeah, very interesting. That 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 is very interesting. So again, just for people sort of listening in who are still getting familiar with this, um, part of the MICA regulations is that anybody who wants to issue a crypto asset uh, po- uh, when when this laws come into effect has to write a, a legally binding white paper explaining a lot about how the how the token works, how the how the coin works, the sort of expectations on behalf of both sides, the technology, maybe the people involved, and then. So then what happens if a token doesn't have a very clear, obvious issuer like Bitcoin? And so this, as you just said, there means that effectively the responsibility will be shifted to the exchanges. If you want to list something that doesn't have a very obvious issuer whose issuer is anonymous, you will have to draft the white paper yourself and then be legally accountable for the, for the, for the content in that white paper. Let's talk in the case of Bitcoin. Would the, do you think the original white paper uh, would be okay? W- would that fall under what Mike has laid out? It would be a really nice appendix to uh, to the white paper, but no, the, the contents of the white paper is regulated. So uh, um, uh, an annex to, uh, to to Mika says what uh, what is the, the contents of the white paper should be, and it's it's also a lot about risks, the way it trades, about about the the maturity of the markets, etc. Uh, so that that it, it is. Much it's quite a bit wider than uh, than only the technical aspect, but it it would be a, I think a really nice uh, appendix to uh, to such a white paper. <laughs> yeah, that's that's uh, almost unprecedented, isn't it? That's a very interesting thing that came out from Thursday as well. Okay, so with all these things 
all these changes um, and in the context of, of everything that we've discussed that came out of Thursday, it now looks like we're heading towards a, a proper draft now, the deal's been done. What would you say to entrepreneurs who are thinking about launching a blockchain, a token project in the next two to three years in the context of all this? Yeah, it's it's good to familiarize yourself with uh, with what's coming. The part of, of, of Micah that is that is applicable to you. If you are a token issuer, uh, then then the consequences of Micah are quite limited. Uh, you have to draw up a white paper uh, and and issue it uh, uh, or register it with uh, with your NCA. Uh, if you want to um, have your token listed at an exchange, you have to do the same. But, but yeah, that's uh, that's basically it. Um, most, if you are uh, a crypto asset service provider, uh, uh, that's that's uh, quite a step further because you need to, uh, a license. And, and for those those companies, it's important to know what's coming uh, and what uh, exact requirements will uh, will be there under the under the license, and start preparing uh, so you can comply timely uh, with uh, um, uh, yeah with the regulation and get the license as soon as possible. Uh, what you typically see with these things is that there is a grandfathering rule, which that all the parties that are already active in uh, uh, in the market can pre-register with uh, with the NCA and make sure that uh, that the process is smooth and they uh, they have a license when required uh, and, and continue their their services unhindered. Okay, very good, excellent. Well, I think that's been a really great discussion um, on Mica. And uh, what we've uh, learned quite a lot today, I think, about the classification of, of stable coins, the uh, 200 million euro cap uh, on asset reference tokens, uh, NFTs and sustainability perhaps being included in the future. So something to keep an eye on. And also just in general, that uh, if you're thinking about starting up a project yourself, uh, especially anything in the blockchain space, you need to get familiar with these regulations, especially if you're doing business uh, here in the EU. We also learned, of course, that Villamian's controversial opinion is that mica will be good for the industry in general so uh thanks very much for sharing that uh okay so thanks very much thanks very much i am really happy to have had a chance to talk to you about this today uh about uh, the latest news on, on mica um so a big thanks again to our guest Willemian smiths of watson law my name's ryan king this was the internet of assets the podcast about the not so distant future of finance thanks for listening <laughs>